Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined as always by my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. Hey, everybody. And Matthew Kuhn. Hey, guys. So I'd like to start off this week by uh, reading a little something from the um, NFL rule book. Rule 4, Section 6, Article 5. Other delay of game fouls. A player, when a player unnecessarily remains on a dead ball or a runner who has been downed, that is classified as a delay of game. I could say that pretty much is exactly what happened at the end of the second half. End of the first half. End of the first half, yeah, exactly. Unnecessarily remaining on a dead ball or a runner who has been downed. Literally, Deshaun Kaiser was wiggling free, kicking his legs as hard as he could to get away. And I don't know who the defensive tackle or whoever it was was just holding him tight. Like, I... It was, it was a stupid call. We only had 14 seconds, and we shouldn't shouldn't have run a QB sneak right up the middle. But come on, that's a delay. Game. I'm gonna I'm gonna bite my tongue here. Um, I would have been cheering for my team to lay on top of them if it was the other way around. Um, but oh, for sure, I certainly sure. wish they would have called. Oh, no doubt, but that's that. That's not what the ref should do. The ref should call it as they see it, and they were unnecessarily holding Deshaun Kaiser from getting back to the line. And there's an offensive lineman who couldn't get up too and couldn't get to the line. That's why we didn't get it off. Um, so I was looking into this because, like, I was thinking, like, if that was Hugh Jackson, if Hugh Jackson made that call, then that was one of which, the worst Which he calls. didn't. Yeah. That was one of the worst calls ever and is the number one reason why he should be fired if we get the chance. But in the postgame presser, I think it was Seth DeValve said that um, that was Deshaun doing his thing. Um, he has the freedom to do that, and that's what he decided to do. So, I mean, I feel a little bit better about that. Um, but, but yeah, that was that was super frustrating. Anyway, um, so as always, I just wanted to get that off my chest. Um, right after the game, me and Matthew had a chance to call our grandpa, and we we rang him up directly after to hear his frustrations. So uh, we'll throw it to that. Hello. Hey, Grandpa. It's Matthew and Mark. Well, hello, Matthew and Mark. How are you doing? The, Brown, the Browns played the, the best three quarters that they ever played this year. This this well, this coach had a nice fifty-yard catch, and uh, this valve he fumbled away the damn ball for a touchdown, That's and uh, and, uh, and uh, that that hurt, and. Uh, but uh, they played they played the best game team wise that they played all year. I think so. What what here's here's my question for you, Grandpa. What did you uh, think about that beautiful um, consecutive string of plays right there before the half? Well, that was that was a that was a, a, a damn rookie mistake on time on clock management. No doubt. You know, and uh, that was that was a, a debacle that should have never happened. You 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 give up you give up that one, and you take back the one that the valve fumbled away, and it's a and, and it's a different game. It's just too damn bad uh, that they 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 played one hell of a three three quarters. They really did. I was proud of them, and uh, and then when they they put in Kessler there for a couple of plays, you know he. He he forgot to get rid of the ball, you know. <laughs> he, he's not supposed he, to hold al- on to it. He always huh? seems to forget to get rid of the ball. 
he's not he's not supposed to get it and hold on to it. Yeah. You know, you know, he's got if you if you got your if your ass is against the end zone, throw, throw the ball away. God, don't <laughs> take it, don't take a sack. Jeez. <laughs> But uh, all in all, uh, uh, even though they lost, I think they played a good game. Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. This is fun. So, yeah. so Grandpa, you realize that now they have to win seven straight games in order for them to get to seven and nine, like you predicted, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, anybody can make a mistake. I'm gonna make a minute. make a mid-course correction. All right. <laughs> so what is it? What do you what do you think we do? We've got seven more games. I they're going to win. They're going to win. I think they're going to win two before the season's over, because they played as a team. They played the best they played all year long, and uh, I, I I I see some great improvement. You know, and uh, I, I I they they just can't be held down forever they're gonna they're gonna beat a couple teams and they're probably screw themselves up in the draft but they they don't draft worth a shit anyway so it doesn't matter too much <laughs> i can't wait i can't wait to give you a call after that first win grandpa you better have some things queued up to say <laughs> okay guys there's better days ahead all right i hope so <laughs> Okay. Uh, love you, Grandpa. Okay. Love you too, guys. Bye. Right. So, 2-14. and 14. Grandpa's on the same pace with Michael. Grandpa and Michael are in the same headspace. Yep. I Although, I keep seeing this team getting better and better every week. I told you that I thought Hugh Jackson um, was going to show us something after having an extra week to prepare. And I got to say, overall, I'm pretty pleased with what I saw on the field. The effort and the improvement was all there. Uh, it obviously didn't show up in the wins column, but I haven't been as impressed with this team um, in a long time. Long time. Yeah, I thought we were going to win in the first quarter after we were up 10 to nothing and everything was rolling. Like That was kind of my recipe for the Browns winning, was, was being up and being able to play defense and hold strong and kind of just kill the clock and hang on. Like, I don't think we're going to blow out teams, but that's how we were going to win the game. And then it just didn't happen. We finally took it. Yeah. How frustrating is it moments? How frustrating is it that we finally played quite well, actually on offense. Oh yeah. And the defense just sucked balls. Well, well, honestly, they weren't that bad. Like I was, well, I guess they gave up 38 points, but the whole time, I wasn't ridiculously frustrated with how our defense played. The oh. defense actually just gave up some big plays yeah. at inopportune times. And I want to get into this, and I guess now's as good a time as any. I put all, almost all of it on Greg Williams. Like, I don't think the players were playing particularly bad. There's very few, like, plays where I can say, oh, if so-and-so had done that or made that tackle or whatever, we would have been in a much better position. Greg Williams called freaking all-out blitzes that – were so easy to see. I was sitting on my couch saying, uh-oh, here it goes. If Stafford sees it like I see it, like this is going right over the top and we're going to get scored on again. And it happened both times. The first time to Eric Ebron, they went up seven. And then the next time he dialed up eight guys in the blocks that were clearly all rushing. 
and he just threw an easy screen to Golden Tate, and he just took it to the house. That's the ball game. Yeah, and that's that's uh, that's Greg Williams for you. That's a that's a Greg Williams defense. Greg Williams is not calling a defense unless you're giving up eighty yards, eighty on yard plays pass. on a third and four. Yeah, uh, but it doesn't make sense. Like, why can't we have Miles Garrett? Right, we were get generating some pretty decent pass rush. Why do we have to send eight guys on that play? It's a third and five. Like, it's way too risky in that situation. It makes no sense to me. I agree. I feel like he falls in love with these play calls. Like, and it doesn't take anybody by surprise when you do it every time. And Greg Williams does it every time. <laughs> no kidding. And, and so the, the teams can scheme around it every single time. Another thing that made me so mad on defense, and I know a couple other people were pointing this out, is the way that we're rotating our defensive line. It's like a like oh my a, YM, a YMCA like rec league team where everybody has to play the same number of snaps. It it's so stupid. Like I understand that it's the NFL and it's very demanding and you can't expect your four starting defensive linemen to play all the games. But the way that we like play our starting four and then the next series like the back is a whole four new four guys. There, it's ridiculous. It makes no sense. It's absurd. Like get if. If it's a short, like, three and out on the offensive side and, like, Miles Garrett and Ogba and Danny Shelton are all winded, like, put in a couple of the backups for a few plays until they catch their breath. Rotate them in. Yeah. Like, But don't just it make it no binary. Sense. Like, don't be like, oh, like, well, what? this is Nass- Carl Nassib's entire drive. Yeah. So, like, like, we're not going to put Miles Garrett trophy. in. Yeah, no, but it's not joke. even just that. No, but, Mark, it's not even just that. And they Orchard. take the whole no, unit. Ogba, Garrett and Shelton were all off together at the exact same time. And that no, trust me, exactly coincided with them gashing us in the run game. Yeah. Like their first score was entirely because those guys weren't on the field. They had like three straight huge running plays because it was Orchard and Nassib and somebody else and Brantley inside. It was Meter. And, and none of those guys can play the run very well. Like Meter's fine against the run, but – Nassib and Orchard are both pretty terrible against the run, and if you can't set the edge or hold the edge, you're screwed. And we, yep. and we also just had Jamie Collins go out right before that, and then they gashed us on those big run plays all the way down right, the field. Right, that didn't help. And I would say, too, that this whole um, – they've been doing this all year. It's not like it just happened this game, but it was very uh, it was very obvious this game. And I think a part of that is that Joby wasn't playing. Joby is real solid against the run. Mm-hmm. So when you put him in instead of Shelton, like th- it's not as obvious of a drop down. Right. But whenever whenever Joby's out of the game, like I think we saw what that looks like. Yeah. This week. Yeah. And it's, it wasn't pretty. And speaking of that, we also saw the difference between our defense whenever um, Jamie Collins was in the game and when Jamie Collins wasn't out of the game. So he's got a torn MCL and he's probably not going to play the rest of the season. I've already announced no, he's they, out for the year. He's out for the year. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. we're not going to have him for the rest of the season. Um, our defense looks completely different without him. We saw whenever he was out with that concussion earlier in the season. What What do you think we can do to mitigate that situation when we're going to have Burgess back there for uh, the remaining games? What do you guys think that's going to look like? I'm scared of what that's going to look like. <laughs> Honestly, here's what I hope happens. I don't think we have talent beyond our top three linebackers. So I think it's Schobert, Kirksey, and Collins, and then we have below replacement level talent to mm-hmm. fill in. 
So I think you have to minimize the amount of times you have three linebackers on the field. You have to go with three safeties. What we do have is, is what, I was what we do have is more strong safeties than we would like. So you just got to go nickel and you got to put more defensive backs on the field. You play Peppers and Kindred and a free safety, whoever you deem that to be. And that's really the big piece. And I think it might be that kid we just claimed from the Bengals. Um, I heard on the, actually, I think it was surviving the season. Pete Smith was on there and he was speaking really highly of this free safety that we got. I think it's Darren Smith or something like that. That's right. Um, and I honestly don't know much about the guy, but he was a third round pick out of Fresno state like two years ago. And apparently the Bengals fans are kind of pissed that uh, the Browns plucked him. So if he can just be decent as a center fielder, we can bring, we need need it so bad. We can bring, we can bring peppers up and he can play his true role. All you need is like what Ed Reynolds brought to the table at the end of the season last year. That's literally all that you need. Here's the thing. And then you can play both. Then you can play both kindred and peppers alongside um, Schobert and Kirksey. And I honestly think that's our best personnel grouping in passing situations. Yeah. And it's almost like, um, I don't know how much college football people watch, but it's almost like what West Virginia does on defense, where it's kind of like a 4-4-1, where there's one safety in the back, like four linebackers, but the edge linebackers are pretty small. They're kind of like nickel defensive backs and then four down linemen. I think I would love to see that happen because I'm sick and tired of, seeing James Burgess be lost on the field or whoever else comes in for Burgess mm-hmm. be lost on the field. Like, they're not, they're not giving us anything. So let's at least try something different. Mark. It's not just that they can't cover. They're also filling the wrong gaps. Like James Burgess got beat because he just didn't fill his gap responsibility this week. I mean, it's, it's bad in the run game. It's bad in the passing game. Um, we need I don't see how we're doing ourselves any favors by keeping three linebackers on the field if Collins is out. Yeah, we just need depth at linebacker. I wouldn't mind if one of our first uh, five picks in the first two rounds are um, a linebacker. Coming That'd into the exciting. year, though, like we thought we were going to see more situations where there were only two linebackers on the field as is. And we haven't really right. seen that. Like it's It's been a lot of all three of those guys out there and – Sometimes that's because Collins is kind of playing as a defensive end, like a rush position, um, and so all three of them are still on the field. But we haven't really gone to that, and I would be surprised if Greg Williams doesn't have that already like in his arsenal. Um, if not, I don't doubt that he can put it in. He obviously did a ton of it last year when he was in L.A., um, and I definitely think our personnel lends itself to it, assuming we can find a free safety that can at least be decent back there. So... All right, so going forward, we have some options. Um, we, it seems like we have the personnel, but let's go back to this game. Theoretically, like as I looked at this, this is one of the best weeks for the Browns. Like We looked great. Deshaun Kreiser had a great game. Our entire offense played well and cohesively together. Um, for most of the game, it looked like we were going to win, but yet we come out with another loss. Uh, Corey Coleman's coming back next week. Like From a... From a standpoint of like taking a step back like this was one of the best weeks in this through this first nine weeks of the season um as yeah a, i can't as believe we've fan. taken this long i can't believe we've taken this long without mentioning deshaun kaiser's name yeah i mean i think that we have all three of us collectively have defended kaiser throughout all of these hiccups i think we've seen that there's potential there it seemed like the rest of uh, the browns world caught up with us a little bit this week 
And rightfully so. I, he didn't have as many inaccurate passes this week. And he looked like a potential NFL quarterback. That that honestly, first for the whole game. Yeah, that first throw that he threw down the sideline to Sammy Coates, that was perfect. That's exactly Beautiful. what we're looking for. If he can do that even a few more times, be this consistent as he was in this game through the rest of the year, that's exciting. I tweeted it during the middle, uh, right at the end of the game, I think. I was like, if Kaiser had been in that whole game, I think there's a decent chance that we win. Like, Kessler screwed us. Oh, my gosh. And Kessler had that wide open Bryce Treggs, literally wide open Bryce Treggs. Yep. Completely missed him by almost 10 yards. I mean, there's a lot of different things you can look at, but I think Kaiser put us in great position all game. Yeah, arguably, Kaiser may have been the best quarterback in the AFC North this week. Andy Dalton was terrible. Roethlisberger played terrible. Um, both of those guys are going downhill. Flacco's Fast. terrible. He's on a bye. But Kaiser played great. I mean, he, he was a mediocre NFL quarterback. I, I would say he was above that. Uh, okay, so there were the Browns gave up four sacks in this game. Three, Three of them, of them <laughs> were on Cody Kessler. Two drives. The two drives that he had. Five, six plays, maybe? Yeah. It was K- six plays. Kessler was only credited with um, three pass attempts, and he was sacked three times. So he was one yeah. for three with three sacks. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, the, so, I mean, Kaiser, Kaiser whenever them. I went in and watched the game again, like Kaiser's manipulation of the pocket and his understanding of the rush that was coming at him was phenomenal like there was a couple plays where i saw some pressure coming and i could see that we didn't have like any extra help and i was like "Uh oh kaiser's gonna get crushed here but he saw it too and he was able to just sneak outside the pocket and run for his four or five yards and he made the most of it like he was consistently making the right play whenever like the defense showed him what was happening and it was just encouraging i just i I wonder if he's going to be able to continue that or if this was a product of him having a little extra time to prepare in the bye week. Well, you saw that he was consistently playing it safe throughout the entire week. Like he was leaving those balls low and away to all his receivers, like up the middle of the field, which is good. I mean, I don't think that those were missed throws. I think that he was intentionally keeping them out of the air so they don't get he hit. Some, up. Go ahead. He had some perfect throws. Oh, I mean, yeah. like the one you mentioned ones over the shoulder down the field, like he can get it down there accurately. He had that pass down the sideline on the right-hand side to Ricardo Lewis that was absolutely perfect. Darius Slay was all over Ricardo Lewis, and he put the ball exactly where it had to be on the outside, and Lewis m- remarkably actually made the catch, got his feet in, and uh, <laughs> it resulted in a first down. But So when I went back and watched it, I was like, holy crap, Kaiser was actually out of this world in this game. Like, our offense moved every single time he was in the game, it felt like. Until he got knocked out, I went back and looked at all of the drives. It was eight total drives before he got knocked out. Five of those were scoring plays. There was one three and out that was just like a true three and out, and it was because Cruel got stopped, like, for five yards on the first run, and Kaiser didn't do anything wrong, but we ended up punting on that drive. And then there was the play that um, got returned for the touchdown, basically the DeValve blunder, yeah. which was the most frustrating thing in the world, the most Browns thing I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. And then um, there was the drive before the half, and that was it. I mean, they scored basically every single time and moved the ball 
in huge chunks and were driving over and over again. Like, I just can't remember watching a Browns game where when the offense got the ball, we consistently put Lose a drive. Ball well, yeah. And that's against a defense in Detroit that's been playing really, really well this year. Uh, yes, to your one, point, one they the were heading into the week. In the league. Yeah, I think they were 11th in overall defensive DVOA heading into this week. So it's not like we were playing a crappy D. Right. You are absolutely So right. I'm looking at the, the stats, and Deshaun Kaiser was 21 of 37 for 232 <laughs> yards. He had the touchdown and the interception at the end. Matt Stafford was 17 of 26 for 249. Um, he did have the three touchdowns and an interception. Their QBRs were about the same. Um, me and Matthew were having this conversation. Matt Stafford was so good. But me and Matthew were having this conversation earlier. But their their lines are pretty comparable. Where do you think Matt Stafford ranks in the NFL as far as quarterbacks? What number is he? What do, you, I, do you think he's in the top like, 10? Objectively, or are you like act- – no, I say he's definitely top. Oh, do I think say he's, he's definitely. Um, I do not think he's top five, but I think he's in that six to ten range. Yeah, that's where we landed eventually. Um, I think we put him at seven. Yeah, we put him at seven. With uh, the maybe Carson Wentz is right there squeaking in front of him at six. Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz. Matt Ryan, Carson Wentz. Cam Newton. Yeah, he's on that tier. Cam Newton. That's fair. Yeah. yeah, they're all right there. So my yeah. thing. The, so the big play. Um, when I rewatched this game, like the Browns had all of the momentum coming. I was so impressed with the way we came back in that second half after having that so unfortunate situation going into the half where we didn't get any points. Mark's cracking his beer. And there it is. (laughs) So I have seen Browns teams take that situation where we didn't get any points and just roll over and give up. And then that was the end of the game. Instead, we came out, we got the ball, we drove straight down and got a touchdown. Mm-hmm. We held them to a three and out, and we did the exact same thing again. We drove straight down and we got another touchdown. And then we were up seven points. We took control of the game coming out in the second half, and I can't remember the last time that that's happened. Played two and then, halves. And then what happened was is Detroit struck right back. It was a four-play drive. But that whole drive hinged on that crazy Kenny Galladay play. Do you remember this play? Yeah, it was so an the Browns got throw and catch. Like we didn't yeah. play it badly uh, at all. Yeah, the Browns played great defense on this play. We had great <sighs> pressure. I thought Miles Garrett was going to get a sack on Stafford. He was pressured and he got the ball off and laid it right over Jamar Taylor's fingers down the sideline for Galladay for like 50 yards. And that's the play that sprung this whole drive. Like, I'm not even mad about that play. It was a phenomenal pass, phenomenal catch, and they scored. And then literally we get back on the field and Kaiser goes out. Like, it was just yeah. the worst luck in the world. Just terrible like, we timing. had control of the game. And it just kind of turned on us. And but here's the maybe, thing. I'm just a jaded, maybe I'm just a jaded Browns fan that's used to losing, but, like, Dude. I feel good after this after this game. I do too. Here's the thing. Kaiser going out, though, is not just, like, shitty luck. It's David Njoku blew his responsibility on that. He was supposed to block the guy coming off that edge. And he we need to find a stronger completely. word than blue. It was, like, way worse than blue. Yeah. Like, I- he, he just completely ignored it. And, like, it wasn't – Kaiser's fault that that guy was coming free. It wasn't that he misread the coverage. Yeah. It wasn't anything like that. It was wasn't covered. just unlucky. It was 
when you have players who aren't very good at doing what you're asking them to do, it's going to come back to bite you. And Najoku is not a good blocker. He's not a good pass protector. He's a much better like wide out pass catcher. When you have him on the end of the line protecting the blind side, mm-hmm. you're going to get screwed. But that's every what, once in a while. That's what this season is for us. That's what these last two seasons have been is taking these players who have the talent and putting them in situations where they can make mistakes. Like we've said, winning's not a priority. Like David Njoku is not going to step into the league and automatically be a good blocker. These tight ends, they come in as they're good, have great talent um, catching the ball downfield, but then they learn to block later on in their careers. Like, so no, this, it's is a good like a, point. this is a learning experience for David Njoku. And like, we lost the game and we're still going to have a top five pick in um, in this upcoming draft. And David Njoku learns a lesson there for the, that can't happen again. Like the quarterback went out, like how better of a, le- like they couldn't get a better lesson than that. Like your quarterback got hurt and, because you missed a response, uh, blocking responsibility. And I think he's learning his lesson, honestly. So I heard reports today that Njoku was texting Kaiser on the bus ride back to make sure he was okay and was apologizing for missing his block on that particular play. Like, he's not going to forget this play. Like, he will learn from it. There's no doubt. And honestly, I want people, everyone listening, who is just screaming about the fact that Njoku hasn't been in on as many plays as he should have been. This is kind of why Hugh and the offensive staff haven't been able to play him every single offensive snap. Like, you can't put in a tight end that only can catch every single snap because eventually the defense is going to catch on and they know they can take advantage of him. Like there's, I would love to see him out there running routes and catching lots of passes, but you have to have the threat of him actually blocking as well. And yeah. as of this point, like it's, he's not much of a threat to actually block and contribute for the Browns in that a, way. What a tight end is just throw him in there in the slot and have him be a receiver. If there's no threat for him to be able to block, like we'll just get someone else to do the job. Um, I can make that argument too that he probably should be our main slot receiver. That's probably a legitimate. <laughs> that's probably that's a legitimate argument for who we have on Who's the field he competing right now. with Richard Higgins. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, um, so other highlights of the game. Um, we have to talk about the end of the half real quick, right? Yeah, totally. Go for it, Matthew. What's your take? So that ended up killed me because I I loved what we were doing. Like we were patient and we were taking our time. And like we saw it a couple weeks ago where you can score too early there and leave 40 seconds and they can throw down the field. And we were taking our time, taking our time, taking our time. And then it's one mistake kills you. And like Kaiser's going to learn from that. You should never audible to a quarterback sneak four yards away from the end zone there. It's like, terrible idea yeah that's just a bad decision but oh it's just a rookie decision but is it even a rookie decision like i feel like i feel like nobody should like you should know that that's a terrible idea like a high school senior should know not to do that right you should really never do that i think it's a funny situation that he had the ability to like audible to that that was like one of the options that was available in that and he scored so many times on the quarterback sneak at the goal line i think he just like was overconfident but um it was quite unfortunate and to be fair i think he feel he probably feels like that's the safe option right 
is like the quarterback sneak because he's been screwed in the red zone so many times with interceptions and turnovers and bad pitches and everything else. Like I, I bet you that was just kind of his knee jerk reaction and that's fine. He, he learned from it. That's fine. We're still in the number one draft slot and I'm not really complaining. But it was clear, obviously, for everyone listening, it was not a Hugh Jackson decision. It was a Deshaun Kaiser decision. You can blame Hugh Jackson for leaving that as an option for not having him coached up and prepared. But ultimately, on the field, in the moment, it was a Deshaun Kaiser audible that led to that rush and us running out of time at the end of the half. But, like, he always has that option. Yeah, I think like, that's what like there's a there's a call. There's some sort of, like, <clears throat> verbal, like, signal that says i'm gonna take it myself and do a quarterback sneak it's not like i saw people on twitter being like no hugh jackson needs to be in his headset and tell him like absolutely do not quarterback sneak this i was like you can't how that works you can't just like warn him to not do every single possible bad option on every single play like that's ridiculous yeah like yeah ridiculous shut up absolutely give give him the play call and tell him to pay attention to the clock like and send him out to go but also to your point like deshaun kaiser always in the middle of the second quarter like with 10 minutes on the clock still has that option it's not like he has different options based on how much time's on the clock like he just has that as yeah, the or quarterback based on the current like play call yeah. it's not like he could never just switch it yeah. to a like quarterback as sink. the quarterback of the offense he has the right to be able to audible into certain different play calls and the qb yep. snake is one of them at the goal line and that so, i agree that's where he feels comfortable and that's what he switched to So another thing I loved from Kaiser in this game is he got hurt. He went out, he got the x-rays, they were negative and he came back. And when he came back, he was pretty darn good on that drive. Like we had four minutes left and he didn't go fast, which it would have been nice if we would have been able to like get down there to try to score quick, but he converted three fourth downs on that drive. And one of them was a fourth and 10. Like he showed poise, he showed composure and he made smart plays. He didn't force anything that wasn't there. I mean, it obviously had a negative result at the end with that fade. But I just felt like he kind of came into his own a little bit this week and like started to understand who he was. And I wonder if like Hugh and Kaiser are starting to like understand each other a little yeah. bit more. And Hugh's calling plays a little bit better that suit Kaiser. And I'm optimistic that with Coleman coming back, and then Gordon on the horizon that some of it will start to continue to gel and only like get better as time goes on. Just in time for Jimmy Haslam to blow it all up. (laughs) It's just, I don't know. That's easier for Deshaun Kaiser. It's just going to get easier for him. That's my point. I feel like if this momentum continues, even if Kaiser just keeps playing like he did this week, We'll win football I think games. Hugh's if, gonna if be, Kaiser plays Hugh, the way he did, we'll win a couple of football games before this year is over. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. With our schedule. Yeah. The rest of our and schedule Hugh is will probably, easy. And Hugh will probably keep his job in that scenario. And I think everything's about intact and you make some little tweaks. So I'm just interested to see how this all plays out. Um we obviously gotta be careful on the injury front because uh-huh. they were saying Coleman, Sean Coleman is on the concussion protocol now. And if we got to roll out Drango and uh, Zach Banner as our starting tackles this week, I think we're going to be in for some trouble against the Jaguars. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, Banner on at the right tackle and 
Drango at the left is not an ideal situation for Deshaun Kaiser, but Kaiser has some thick skin. Let's think like props to him for everything that he's gone through this season. He keeps for, getting shat on by keeps everybody. Everyone from every <laughs> single angle is bringing Deshaun Kaiser down, and then he comes out and does that game, like plays the way that he did this week. Like, like the Cleveland Browns and Hugh Jackson could not have done more of a disservice and mismanaged a quarterback more than they did to Deshaun Kaiser. And like if did he comes like, in and continues to prove himself, like kudos to him. Did you like how Hugh Jackson tried to reason himself out of it and say in the post game presser, there's a method to my madness. I know none of you guys think that there's anything like going on, <laughs> but there's a reason why I'm doing all this. Like you're seeing the results of what I've been building in this like quarterback. That's so much BS. He's trying to like take advantage of the moment. He's like, Oh, we actually played well. I really need to like leverage this into my own looking like my own wisdom. That was the, it's the opposite of a master plan that he's yeah. been following. It's been rather reactionary. Yeah. Uh, all right. So um, let's move on. We had um, some Twitter rumors um, flowing through the Twitter sphere, Twitter sphere about Mike Singletary um, interviewing for a possible head job or head coaching job to replace Hugh Jackson. Matthew, what do you think about that? I don't think he's interviewing for a head coaching job. Straight up. That's that's what I think. I, I I don't think anybody's dumb enough in this league to hire Mike Singletary as a head coach anymore. I mean, the the thing is, is people so, on Twitter just overblow the fact like he was he was in Cleveland. That doesn't mean he's interviewing to be the head coach. Right. One, so it's very clear that he was there to interview for a job. We also know that he was on Greg Williams' staff last year for the Rams. He was like a special something he, i don't even think he had a particular position but he was like a defensive assistant of some kind and he probably was interviewing for a similar position with the browns whether it starts next year or comes on in the middle of the season like the guy has a nice resume and has lots yeah. of experience in the league like certainly could bring some value to a coaching staff but in no way shape or form are jimmy and d haslam interviewing Mike Singletary to take over for Hugh Jackson in the middle of the season or even starting next year. And not clandestinely, like just walking in through the front door of the facility yeah. while Hugh Jackson <laughs> right. has a job. Like, that's not how this works. Absolutely. Mike Singletary is interviewing for the head coaching job in the same way that Peyton Manning is interviewing for the head coaching job right now. Uh, I think everyone assumes Peyton Manning is going to be a front office position, but is gunning for a front office position and uh we'll see if that comes true i certainly probably won't complain if they carve out a role for him as long as uh the current members of our front office can stay intact and uh in a major way i've i feel like peyton manning at the helm to pick our next quarterback that's got to be a good situation but i'm definitely not expecting it to to happen but at the same time um, i'd rather have peyton manning on the sideline coaching our next quarterback yeah, seriously. Like, so I don't know. I know I know a certain somebody who's going to be real pissed and getting an earful when Peyton Manning doesn't show up in, in Cleveland next year. But I... <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, all right. I feel like that just about summed up the game for us. We played well. Let's Let's move on. So we had the distinct opportunity to call up one of Michael's old college friends. Um, Michael, you want to give a little intro? All right. So I've got my good friend from college, Jens Engelman here. He is a devoted Browns um, 
admirer and a huge Jacksonville Jaguars fan. So we wanted to take the opportunity to uh, get his thoughts heading into this week. Um, before we jump into the Jags, Jens, um, can you talk a little bit about what you have seen of our Cleveland Browns? Because when we're so deep into it, it's hard for us to like view our team and what we are building from like a true outsider's perspective. So from a true outsider's perspective, I think, in my opinion, um, that what the Browns are doing is actually a really wise strategy um, in terms of accumulating draft capital. Um, and the problem, though, is, in my opinion, is that maybe this strategy of acquiring draft capital might not work in the NFL. Um, and that has to do with the fact that owners and fan bases are just not patient enough to really commit to a long-term redevelopment process. And so I think what the Browns are doing is wise. Um, whether or not their you know, ownership is going to be patient enough in the long run is really the question of my point. So he's not a patient are, owner. <laughs> yeah, he's not a patient owner. So I don't know if it's going to work out. And whether or not like getting all of these draft picks and slowly trying to find a quarterback that fits the system and is a good fit and is good value and acquiring players in the third and fourth round and hoping that some of them are stars and are, you know, basically exceeding expectations. So I think they're building well along the lines, which I think is important. So the offensive line, obviously the Joe Joe Thomas injury is a big hit. The defensive line is getting better. They're going to work on the secondary. They need more speed in the linebacking court, but they're starting to develop the team. Uh, The question is whether or not they're going to blow it on some first round quarterback next year. Uh, which sets them back three or four years if they pick the wrong guy. So yeah. that really is the question. So so, so here's my question the, for you. Given the Browns yeah. situation and where the Jaguars are right now, if before the season you told me that you would switch places with the Cleveland Browns and you would be so happy, where do you stand right now on that decision? If you could switch places with the Browns, <laughs> would you? If I could switch places with the Browns and yeah. also switch out owners and take Shotgun instead of Jimmy Haslam, I would do it. <laughs> I like that answer. I like that answer. Okay, which, so, brings us, which brings us to the Jags. We're facing the Jags this week. Give us your assessment of the team up to this point, and then I'd kind of be interested to hear – if you think the Browns have any semblance of a chance of winning or even competing in this game? So let me answer the question of how I, how I think the Browns can beat the Jacks okay. first, because I think that sort of gives an understanding of where the team is at in the first place. Yeah. Um, so I think the Jacks have been, have been getting better over the last two weeks in their run defense, uh, which is a little bit of an issue. But I, if I was the Browns, I would try to attack the Jack horse by running a bunch of inside zone and really hoping that my offensive line in the run game wins against the Jacks uh, defensive line in their run game. I think that is the way to control the clock, take the ball away from the Jacks and really make it a low scoring, low possession game. I think that's first and foremost, the, the Browns need to run the ball down the Jack throat and be committed to it. Because if there's one Achilles heel on the defense, it's the run defense, which is susceptible to big plays. So that's what I would use. 
you're not going to be able to pass on the jack horse, and you should really not try to get into obvious passing situations because the edge rushers like Calais Campbell and Gakwe Fowler and the inside Jackson, R.B. Jones, Darius, they're going to destroy you. Yeah, so no, it's going to be making it worse for us this week, too, because not only is Joe Thomas hurt, but our right tackle, who's been not spectacular, but solid all year, just went into the concussion protocol. And so we've got two shoddy tackles out there. If we're going to have to pass to win, we are screwed. Yeah, there is no chance, especially in the back end with Boyer and Cramsey Gibson at church. And even Talvin Smith, things uh, are going to come if you throw a lot. So win up front, and then on defense, I think the strategy is to just commit eight guys to the box, do not allow the Jacks to run, and hope that Bat Blake shows up. And if Bat Blake shows up, you have a chance. <laughs> Bat Blake always shows up. What are you talking about? Well, he sometimes doesn't show up as badly. So, I, you know. Mediocre. Um, <laughs> yeah, sometimes he's mediocre, sometimes he's terrible. So I think that's the key. You want to get him to be terrible. The other part, too, is, and I think this is something really important when you play the Jazz. The coaches have done a really good job scripting the first 15 plays on offense, and you see a lot of production on offense yeah. in those first 15 plays. So you have to survive the first um, the first drive of the Jaguars. You cannot fall behind under any circumstances. And that sort of goes to the next point. If you're down two scores against the Jacks, you've lost the game. Yep. There's no doubt about it. I've been paying a little bit of attention because, you know, they are the hometown team where I live. And that's the case. If they get up on you, you're you're screwed. They've got you by the neck, and they can just squeeze, and there's no chance of getting away. So this will be a good game for Hugh Jackson to actually show that he's a good head coach. Because uh... you should just commit – to running the ball. If you start throwing the ball down the field or you're trying to like throw vertically against the Jacks, that really shows that you're not a good play caller. The only good opinion. sign, the only good sign for the Browns this week um, on offense is that Corey Coleman will be back. So at least there's somebody that I feel okay about actually creating some separation um, out there for Kaiser to throw to. But aside from him, we don't really have anybody to throw to, and that's been our biggest problem all year. And I think Jalen is going to stick on Corey Coleman, and I'm not sure whether or not Corey Coleman just coming back is going to be Jalen a lot. Um, so, you know, but it could be, I mean, on the other side, it could be the sort of game which is a trap game, and the Jacks might just lose one that they shouldn't lose. It's in Cleveland too, which I I like. It helps us a little bit, but it it's going to be a low unless there's like defensive or special team scores. This is going to be a low scoring game because the Browns are a top rush defense, and running the ball is the only thing that the Jaguars can do. They want to keep the ball out of Bortles' hands as much as possible. So I don't see the Jags exactly lighting up the scoreboard themselves, and no. I have the hardest time seeing how the Browns are going to score any points. No, I think it's going to be very low scoring. But the Jacks have been able to always put up a couple of drives. They're very much like um, they're very much like a team that like puts together two drives and sputters throughout the rest of the day. So I think it is also important to when they are in scoring positions 
to limit them to field goals, which not that many teams have actually done. They've been pretty efficient in the red zone. So that's another thing. If, you, if When they drive down, if you limit them to field goals instead of touchdowns, I think you can be successful against them. So I have one last question. I know you got to go here in a minute. Um, t- what's going on with the Jags offensive line? I felt like go- coming into this year, everybody thought they were going to be terrible like they have been the last couple years, and they haven't been all that bad. The Browns, their defensive line has been really strong. And I think that watching Miles Garrett tear into the backfield and maybe cause some problems for Blake Bortles, that might be our one area of opportunity to um, make something happen in this game. But tell us a little bit about their offensive line. So the offensive line has been pretty inconsistent throughout the year. They were better than, way better than expected. They're still not great. You know, Cam Robinson still makes mistakes at the left tackle spot. Last week, Jeremy Parnell was out, which was a bigger loss than I ever expected. Yeah. Um, and the guard spots, A.J. Ken is a good pass blocker. He's not a good run blocker. Omame has played a little bit better than expected. So everyone on average has played better than expected, and they're communicating pretty well. So the key is to hope that Jeremy Parnell is not playing this week and you can put um, – Miles Garrett on that side and let him rush from that side. And Josh Wells had a terrible game um, subbing in as the right tackle. So there is definitely an opportunity um, attacking the tackles. Um, And then you really got to hope that Obama is not coming back um, and AJ can continues to be a dud. And if that's the case, I do think the Browns have a chance because the game might be 10 to seven. In that yeah. case, so I'm seeing on the really low scoring. Really yeah, low on the scoring offensive line, they're on the offensive line. They're they're decent. They're well coached, but they're not outstanding players. Yeah. So yeah. All right. So I, what's your prediction for the for the final score? I think my prediction is that the Bra- the Browns head coach Hugh Jackson Hugh Jackson is going to win the Jaguars game for the Jacks. And we're going to win and beat him 21 to seven because he tries to do some downfield passing and it's going to end in a catastrophe. That's probably about right. So you say 21, 17, is that what you said? No, 21, seven. It's not a close. Oh, game. come on. That's reasonable. I am... The Browns are not good. We're, we're, we're not a good team. Uh, Jens, the what, Browns... what, no, Jens, what is the uh, German word for suck? Like, 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 like if there's if, a German word for, for what the Browns how bad are. the Browns have been that isn't used in uh, English. Uh, Scheiße, which is shit. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Could you say that That's one fair. more time? Could you say that one more time just so we can make sure we got it nailed down? Okay, let me, let me do it louder. Scheiße. <laughs> Fantastic. That's what the Browns are this year, everybody. That's hilarious. I, Boys, I really enjoy listening to your podcast, but it's dinner time for me, and I'm in Asheville, North Carolina, seeing Michael's wife's old boyfriend. That's Ooh. right. <laughs> okay. That's right. You tell wow. him I said hello. Um, I all friends all around. I love it. No ill will from Michael. All right. He won that battle. Thanks, Jens. Talk to you guys later. Bye, Jens. <laughs> all right. That was. That was great. Could definitely hear Jens was on his way somewhere. I heard the blinker there a few times. Definitely a genius. He was multitasking and talking intelligently about the Browns. I don't know how he's followed us that closely, but I love it.
Um, all right, we'll move on. You know, every week we like to go to our divisional rivals and just watch their games and get a piece of what they're doing to see how we're going to be able to compete with them going forward in the future. Um, so obviously the Steelers are leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else. Matthew, you watched the Steelers game this weekend. What did you see there? Yeah, they almost lost to the Colts, and the Colts are pretty, pretty <laughs> awful. Um, the, Classic Steelers playing down to their competition. I know. They won this game so 20-17. to 17. Um, And honestly, they didn't play that bad on defense. They, um, The two touchdowns they gave up were both busted coverages that were about 70-yard touchdown passes that Jacoby Brissett hit his receiver um, just wide open with nobody around him and walked in the end zone. Other than that, they only gave up three points. The real issue was the Steelers' offense couldn't get anything going. They couldn't run the football very effectively. Big Ben did not look good. He was missing receivers. He looked frazzled almost. He, he wasn't – his deep ball has all but left. Like, I mm. think Big Ben's going to retire after this year because he knows that he's losing yeah. it. He can't hit the deep ball like he used to be able to. Um, it took them – I love hearing that. Yeah, the I window know. is opening for the Browns. It yeah, is. It is. Josh so, Dobbs leading the Steelers moving oh forward. Oh my gosh, that'll be the day. <laughs> I was so happy if Josh Dobbs is the starting quarterback for the Steelers. It All just next sucks. year. Um, but it took it took well into the fourth quarter before the Steelers um, took the lead on a touchdown pass to Vance McDonald in the corner of the end zone, and they had to get a two point conversion to tie it, and then um, ultimately got a field goal with no time remaining to win the game. But this, the Steelers don't look great, and maybe it is just that they're playing crappy competition and they play down to them, but I'd be concerned. Yeah. We should mention good. that Joe Hayden broke his leg too, so he's going to be out probably for the most of the rest of the regular season, it sounds like. Well, they're screwed then because Joe Hayden is one of their key pieces. And, he was their best player. And if you lose Joe Hayden, then all of a sudden you're making a huge mistake. Just so. ask Tony Grossi. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I watched the uh, Bengals-Titans game, um, and really, it was honestly a similar story. And unfortunately, the score looked very close, so it ended up being a 24-20 to win um, by the Titans. Um, but the Titans just looked basically dominant over the Bengals this entire game. So they, then the Bengals end up going ahead 20-17 to with like two and a half minutes to go. Titans get the ball, easily drive down the field, dice right through them, Score touchdown, uh, final score twenty four to twenty. But from the eyeball test, the Titans ran all over the Bengals during this entire game, and it didn't really seem close. When the Titans needed to make a play, they always did, um, and they really should have had an entirely entire another touchdown. So it should have been like an eleven point game. Nice. Um. Anyway, should we move to the picks? This it was week? entertaining to watch. Let's move to the picks. I got I got a new coin. Lost my Florida two thousand four, unfortunately, but. We'll see how this one works uh, out for me. I don't know if it gets a whole lot better than that Florida coin you yeah, had rolling. I, I miss it dearly. I think Matthew stole it. He's jealous. He's so gonna, to update he's everyone, be flipping over there in the corner with my Florida coin. That's right. Got me a gumball. <laughs> <laughs> so to update everybody, I'll uh, come clean and admit that I'm in last place. Um, I'm one game behind both Matthew and Mark, who are tied for the lead. Matthew dropped a game. Mark and I both made up one last week. Um, we got some fun games to pick this week. Starting on Thursday night, Tennessee's going to Pittsburgh, who are favored by a whole seven points. Matthew, you were just talking about how Pitt kind of looks crappy. I don't feel like Tennessee's a bad squad. What do you think's going to happen? 
Yeah, with Pittsburgh minus seven, I've got to take Tennessee on the road. I'm, I really like Marcus Mariota. Um, he's been a little knocked up this year or nicked up. Knocked not, up? Not, not, not knocked, knocked up. up. He's nicked up, not knocked up. It's just in. <laughs> Mariota's pregnant. I'm going to take... <laughs> I'm going to take a, a pregnant Marcus Mariota plus the points. That's a liability. That's a lawsuit waiting to happen. Oh, man. That's Mark, what's your call? Uh, well, this new coin says that the Steelers are going to win it. Steelers plus the points. Um, honestly, I think that the Titans are susceptible to big breakaway plays. That is the only way that um, the Bengals scored against them. And quite frankly, that's what the Steelers do with Le'Veon Bell, Juju Smith-Schuster, um, and Antonio Brown. They can score on big chunk plays down the field. And I think that um, Steelers get enough of those to come away with by winning by more than a touchdown. I can see that. I can see that. I'm with Matthew, though. Tennessee, I, I have a lot of respect for Tennessee. I think Mariota is coming into his own. They're running game. That that would be the pregnant Marcus Mariota. Bless you, Michael. Man, wow. Yeah. Okay. So so that was a big big sneeze from Michael. That's the first coming from the the pod. Yeah. Yeah. Big moment. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) First sneeze on the pod. Michael also Uh, has an atrocious case of pink eye right now. He's staring directly into the um, iPad, and it's it's ugly. I, I'm a mess right now, but you know what? I'm here. I'm here for the fans. <laughs> uh, I got Tennessee. I don't have a whole lot to say other than I have a lot of respect for the Titans. I think they're a good team, and seven points is a lot. Um, which leads us to the Sunday night game. The Philadelphia Eagles, led by Carson Wentz, heading to the Dallas Cowboys, led by Dak Prescott. The battle of the second-year quarterbacks. Yep. Philadelphia is favored by three points in this particular uh, tilt. Mark, you and your coin, what do you have to say? Um, We have the Eagles um, plus the points. So minus the points. Minus the points, whatever. You do that backwards each time. Well, you know, I'm not a gambling man. I'm a wholesome individual. I don't go to (laughs) Vegas and blow my money on betting things like you guys did while we were in Cleveland. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I just think that the um, Eagles, they look crazy right now. That defense is looking nasty. Carson Wentz is playing really well. And I don't think Dallas looks only three points worse than Philadelphia. They're not going to have Ezekiel Elliott. And we saw how Alfred Morris did running the ball for them. They're just not the same team without him. I think that the Eagles win by way more than three. So Mark's got the Eagles. Matthew? I'm going to go with Dallas. Um, I think everybody's going to – come in and say that without Zeke, this Dallas team um, isn't going to be able to do it. I think that they've got enough weapons on offense, enough um, flexibility to be able to come up with a scheme. Um, And Carson Wentz, as good as he looks, he's also liable to throw a few interceptions. And I think the Dallas secondary will be able to take advantage of that. I'm going to take Dallas. So I disagree with you. I think it's less about Ezekiel Elliott and a little more about Sean Lee and Tyron Smith, who also were out this last game. And I'm not sure if they're going to be back or not, but even if they're like not 100%, I think that is what's making Dallas a little bit more liable than Zeke being out. And the Eagles just are well-coached. They're deep. That defense is quite good. Um, I like the Eagles. It's only three points. I see them covering um, and beating the Cowboys. 
which it's leads us, choice. which leads us to the game we really care about. Let's be honest. The Jacksonville Jaguars heading into the land to play the Cleveland Browns. Jacksonville is currently favored by a seven and a half points. I mean, it wouldn't be a Browns game if they weren't more than the seven point underdog. And uh, can you believe we were favored in two games in a row? Earlier this game, it was three games in a row. Was it three games in a row? <sighs> Unbelievable. <laughs> um. So I want to hear everybody's take. I'll I can kind of lead this off. We talked about it a little bit whenever we had Jens on, but um, I really am super interested to see our defensive line match up against their offensive line because people complain about Deshaun Kaiser, but I don't think any of those people have seen Blake Bortles play football because (laughs) he is so miserable. They were in position to tie up the game in last week. And we didn't talk about this with Jens, but he was on, I think the 25 yard line. They had uh, about two minutes to go. And so they were in field goal range. It was I'll play and he just chucked the ball up when he got some pressure straight to a safety. Like there was not even a receiver within the vicinity and he gave up the interception. Like the dumbest play you could ever imagine given that game scenario. He just does dumb stuff like that over and over again. And so if Miles Garrett, Emmanuel Ogba and company can provide any sort of pressure on him, I feel like we have a chance to create a turnover or two courtesy of Blake Bortles. Um, and that's really what I'm looking for the most in this game. Cause I don't see how we're going to actually move the ball and score points. Um, and because of that, I actually think I'm going to go with the Jaguars in this game. Um, their defense is nasty. Mm-hmm. And um, when we have backup tackles, even if Sean Coleman's in there, we're going to have a hard time um, keeping the pressure off Kaiser. So I'm going to go with the Jaguars minus even minus the points yeah i'm gonna have to go with you too and my coin agrees as well i just think that um even if we can stop them offensively i mean what they do best is run the ball and what we do best is stop the run i think we can stop them um for a majority of the game but i don't think that we're going to be able to score points at all um with backup offensive linemen in the game and deshaun kaiser playing inconsistently as he has if he plays like he did last week and can find a way to move the ball with Corey Coleman, I think we got a chance to win a low-scoring game. Um, but their defensive secondary is just so good, I, I don't really see that happening. Um, I see Jalen Ramsey getting at least one interception in this game and um, us losing by more than a touchdown. I'm going to take the Browns. I'll take the Browns plus the points. Seven and a half is a lot. I mean, we almost covered this last week. Um if we had just well, run the ball into the end, right there at the end, uh, we would have covered and covered the spread. So I'm gonna take the Browns. I think it. I do think it's a low scoring game, um, but I don't really think that the Jags can score that many points on our defense either. Um, I, I, I still think it's the true. advantage is in their favor. Yeah. They're if we can stop the run, I mean, they're not gonna score points throwing the football. So um, this might be like a, a yeah. ten to seven. 10 to 6 kind of I mean if it's a affair, if it's a low scoring game watch. if it's a low scoring game 7 and a half is a ton of points oh, like yeah. uh, we get oh, a few yeah. field, we get a few field goals in there and we're we're going to cover that yeah so i'm going to take no, the you're browns right. i'm going to take the browns plus the points yeah. smart matthew i hope you're right you're so... i hope you beat me in this particular <laughs> thanks bud yeah he absolutely i'm trying to spread the love 
Uh, all right, that is going to be the podcast. Tune in next week to see if Matthew is right. If the Browns pull it out. Um, as always, send us an email. Let us know what you think about the pod. Sinofourfathers at gmail.com. Go on our iTunes page and leave a review on the podcast. Just let us know what you think. Um, thanks so much for listening. A shout out, as always, to our Tokyo listeners. We really appreciate you. Go Browns, baby. Go Browns. Thank you.